growth by multiplication is more rapid than growth by addition. Just do the math. If you start at zero and begin to add by two, ten times you get to twenty. But if you start with two times one and begin to multiply by two ten times, you get to 1,024. It's just simple math. The growth by multiplication is more rapid than growth by addition. So as we think about the kingdom of God, as we think about our church, as we think about reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ, should we strive for growth by addition or multiplication? I submit to you that we should have a passion and a desire to see as many people saved as possible. And so we want to follow the example of the first century church. And we want God to use us to see His kingdom expand through multiplication. Now keeping that in mind, I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 9. I want to show you what this looks like. Acts chapter 9 verse 31, as we continue our study through the book of Acts, line by line, verse by verse. We've made it to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Just kind of a quick heads up, if you were not here last week for whatever reason, mission trip or camp or family vacation or whatever was going on last week, I want to encourage you to go to the website or go to our podcast and listen to the sermon I preached last week, which dealt with our response to the Supreme Court decision to make same-sex marriage a constitutional right. And in that, in that sermon, I want you to listen because I tried to show the biblical balance for Christians on this issue. The biblical balance is that we stand by our convictions, that we stand on the Word of God. We don't back down at all. We continue to preach and teach the Word of God and stand for its truth uh, while maintaining a compassion for the hurting. And we want to share the gospel and the hope that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to stand by our convictions and keep doing what we're doing, but we're also going to love people. And I try, to, I try to maintain that balance in the sermon so we can understand how we're going to move forward as a family of faith. So if you didn't listen to that sermon, then please go listen to it so you just can be brought up to speed with where we are as a family of faith in relation to that issue. But this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. The Bible says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we, we pause to give you praise and glory and honor. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. There is none like you. And we're so grateful, Lord, that through Christ... We can know you in a personal way. Through Christ, we can call you Father. And Lord, we are here today because we want to encounter you. 
We want to leave this building today knowing we have met with the living God. And so would you just move in our midst during this time of of studying your word. Open the eyes of our hearts by your spirit that we might see the truths of scripture and take them and have the wherewithal to apply them to our lives. Would you give us the grace in these moments to lift up the matchless name of Jesus because it's all about him. So Lord, I pray that you would move with power and grace in our midst and that your name would be exalted. And we ask and pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've journeyed through the book of Acts, we have seen that the church began to grow rapidly in chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, 6 in the book of Acts. Uh, But as the church continued to grow, the church encountered some opposition. The religious leaders did not want Christianity to advance And so they tried to stop Christianity from moving forward. And and here's the interesting thing about that. We learn from the Word of God, and we learn from looking at human history. And by the way, this will encourage you this morning. Every time someone tries to stop Christianity, it has the exact opposite effect. Do you hear what I just said? Every time someone tries to stop Christianity, it has the exact opposite effect, which is encouraging to me because... In our culture today, we see those who are trying to take away our religious liberty. They want to silence Christians. That's where we are headed in our nation. But every time someone tries to stop Christianity, it has the exact opposite effect. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it in human history. And they tried to stop Christianity in the first century, but it just continued to grow. And so they began to persecute Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, we see Saul. This religious leader leave Jerusalem, headed to Damascus to arrest more Christians, take them out of their homes, throw them into prison. But on that road, he is gloriously saved. He encounters Jesus at the first part of Acts chapter 9, and he's saved and called to be a great missionary for the gospel. And that story is is unfolding in Acts chapter 9. And at the end of Acts chapter 9, the scene shifts from Saul back to Peter, an early leader in the New Testament church. And here at the end of Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 10 and 11, we're going to see a story that revolves around Peter. He becomes the central character in these chapters. And then in Acts chapter 11, Saul will be reintroduced into the story. And so we've made it through Saul's conversion, and we want to see what happens at the end of Acts chapter 9. And again, Peter is heavily involved in this passage. And what we see unfold at the end of Acts chapter 9 is kingdom multiplication. We see people getting saved in a rapid manner as God is moving with power. So what I want to do is I want to share with you three truths about kingdom multiplication. What does kingdom multiplication look like for you and for me, for Longview Point Baptist Church? Three truths about kingdom multiplication. Number one, multiplication is prophetic. Multiplication is prophetic. Look what it says there in verse 31. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Now it's interesting those places he names, Judea, Galilee, Samaria. That should have made you think about a a Bible verse found earlier in the book of Acts. The locations 
where the church was thriving in this verse, Acts 9.31, parallel the prophetic statement of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Now that verse is a wonderful pattern for us to follow. We want to we follow that Acts 1-8 pattern. We want to reach our Jerusalem, our Hernando. We want the gospel to spread to our Judea and our Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. But Acts 1-8 is not only a pattern for ministry, it was a prophecy from Jesus. It was a prediction. What Jesus was saying is this. As the church comes into existence on the day of Pentecost, the gospel will reach Jerusalem It will overflow into Judea, it will go to Samaria, and the gospel will make it to the very ends of the earth. Jesus was saying, that's what's going to happen. It was a prophecy, it was a prediction. And so here in verse 31 of Acts 9, we see his prediction is coming to fulfillment. And the believers in the first century could minister with confidence because they knew Jesus had said the gospel was going to spread. The gospel was going to multiply. Now here's the question. Yes, they had that confidence in the first century. Can we have that kind of confidence today? Well, I want you to understand, and this is important, that you and I have promises of gospel advance that give us confidence in our task. Let me give you two promises in the Bible that should give us confidence moving forward. Here's promise number one. All people groups will hear the gospel. All people groups. Our our world is composed of, comprised of people groups. People that share a common custom culture and language. And there are about 11,000 people groups in our world that make up the 7 billion plus population of this planet. And we know from the promises of Jesus that every people group on the face of the earth, every tribe, every tongue, every language, everyone will hear the gospel. Because in Matthew 24, 14, the Bible says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, this is Jesus talking, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all people groups. And then the end will come. So Jesus himself said, before the end comes, every people group will hear the gospel. That ought to give us confidence, right? And it gets even better. Here's the second promise. There will be redeemed representatives from every people group worshiping around the throne in heaven. So not only will every people group hear the gospel, but there will be some from every people group who will embrace the gospel. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verse, verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, John writes, he gives, he's given this great vision from the Lord After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so here's what we understand. When we are around the throne of Jesus... When, when everything comes to culmination in Christ and we go to heaven, what a day that will be, amen? 
when we are around the throne of Jesus, there will be representatives there around the throne worshiping Jesus with us from every people group, every language, every culture, every custom on the face of the earth. It's a promise. It's going to happen. Folks from every people group will be saved. Representatives from every people group will be gathered around his throne. And so our job, our calling, our commission is to get this good news, this gospel about Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection to the very ends of the earth. And here's the confidence we have. It's going to happen. Let me say it like this. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And if we're on his side, if we've embraced him as Lord and Savior, we are on the winning team. Now, I needed to to hear that this week as I was studying. I needed to be reminded of that truth because I look around at our world and it doesn't look real victorious right now, does it? In in our nation, Christianity is under assault. Our religious liberties are under attack at an unprecedented rate. You look at what's happening in in the world, you see groups like Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab and ISIS who are are fierce and barbaric and are trying to stamp out Christianity, any vestige of those who are followers of Christ. And you look at the the global scene, you think, man, it doesn't look real victorious out there. As a matter of fact, it looks daunting. How in the world are we as Christians going to see victory? And the answer is, Jesus will bring it to pass. He has promised that the gospel will get to every people group and there will be representatives from every people group around the throne when we all get to heaven. So listen, we don't have to hang our head in worry and anxiety. We can can march forward as the church with great confidence because Jesus wins. Let, Let me illustrate it like this. Let's just say that that I was playing with a group of my buddies, a, a, a game of pickup basketball. Just me and, you know, it's just some ordinary guys just playing basketball. And in the gym walks LeBron James, the greatest player on the face of the planet. And, and we pick teams, and it just so happens I'm on LeBron James' team. And, and before the game starts, LeBron James gets us together in a huddle. He says, listen, fellas, we're going to win this game. Now, as I began to play, I would submit to you, I would play with confidence. I'd know that, hey, no matter what happens, I'm on the winning team. And my confidence would not be based upon my strategy or my game plan. My confidence would not be in my own ability as a basketball player. You ought to see me play. My confidence would be in LeBron James, right? The greatest player on the face of the planet. Can I tell you this? We have that same confidence because we are with Jesus. And our confidence is not in our strategy, in our plans. Our confidence is not in our own ability. Our confidence is in the fact that Jesus Christ will bring his promises to perfect fulfillment. We are on the winning team. So number one, multiplication is prophetic. Number two, multiplication should be systematic. Multiplication should be systematic. Look what it says back in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. 
we see the church systematically growing by God's grace and by God's design. And I believe that every church should see systematic growth of the kingdom as we proclaim the gospel. Now, the church multiplies systematically, day in, day out. As God's people do two things. Number one, if we're going to multiply systematically, we've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. Look what it says there in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So not only was the church growing in numbers, it was growing in depth. The church was, was maturing in Christ. God was doing something in the believers to make them more like Jesus. So the church was growing not just just broader, it was growing deeper. They were growing up. The same words used over in Acts chapter 20. Turn there with me, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. This is when Paul is saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus, getting ready to go to Jerusalem where he knew he would be arrested. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, here's what he says to these these leaders of the Ephesian church. Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so Paul's saying, I'm leaving, but I trust that as you are in the word of God and God is working in you, you will grow, you will be built up, you will become stronger in your faith. Same word used over in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And so here's the deal. If we're going to reach the world, if we're going to multiply, if we're going to get the gospel to those that need to hear it, we've got to grow up. Because a church that is full of immature believers won't do anything significant for the kingdom. Because immature believers fuss and fight. And immature believers focus on themselves. But as we grow in Christ, guess what? We'll love each other. And as we grow in Christ, we'll think about those outside of our walls. And as we grow in Christ, we will desire to be obedient to the commands of Christ. And so a church that grows in Christ will be more effective at reaching people for Christ. Let me say it like this. Before we can concern ourselves with church growth, we've got to make sure that we are experiencing church health. Because an unhealthy church doesn't reach people, right? We need God to grow us, to build us up, to make us stronger in our faith. Now back in verse 31, this word built up is a present passive participle. You say, wait, why are you doing English this morning? I don't need a grammar lesson. Well, Well, the passive voice indicates that the church was being acted on by an outside force. So God's doing the growing. God's doing the strengthening. It's God working in them. And the present tense indicates that this was a continual reality in the church. Here's what it means. Listen, every day, every day the church was growing stronger. It was an everyday reality. And if we're going to reach our community, if we're going to reach our world every day, we should surrender to God, avail ourselves to Him, and every day let Him build us up. And so the church was growing systematically because... They were growing up. But secondly, the church multiplies systematically as God's people go out. They grow up and they go out. Did you notice what happens there in verse 31 of Acts 9? 
It says, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now that word walking, I don't believe is the best translation for this verse. The, the word there translated walking is literally the word going. It better reads, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So the church was not only growing up, they were going out. And as they were going, they were sharing good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see two things about their going. First of all, I want you to notice the pattern. The pattern says, and going on in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, this is interesting because we see kind of how this works as we read the next few verses. As a matter of fact, look there with me in verse 32. Now, now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So Peter comes into Lydda, this town which was northwest of Jerusalem, about 25 miles from that city. And he comes into Lydda, and there are Christians there. Now, here's the question. How in the world were there Christians in Lydda? And then look in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple, follower of Christ, named Tabitha. And verse 37, In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there in Lydda, sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. So there are disciples in Lydda and there are disciples in Joppa. And the disciples in Joppa hear that Peter's in Lydda, so they send to Lydda so Peter can come to Joppa and tend to their friend. But notice, in Lydda and in Joppa, and and by the way, Joppa's about a few miles past, about 11 miles past Lydda towards the coast, on the coast. In these two cities, there are Christians. Now here's a question. Why were there Christians in Lydda and Joppa? How in the world did they get there? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look with me in Acts chapter 8, very quickly. Acts chapter 8, verse 40. I want to give you at least a partial answer to that question. You remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? God said, Philip, go into the desert road. And he obeys and goes to the desert road. He leaves Samaria, goes to the desert near Gaza. And all of a sudden, this Ethiopian uh, court official comes riding by in a chariot. And he's reading Isaiah. And he doesn't know what Isaiah is talking about, who he's talking about. And Philip gets in the chariot with him and shows him Isaiah is talking about Jesus. And he shares the gospel with him. And the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved and is baptized. Remember that story? Look what happens next in verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So after he shares the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch, he finds himself at Azotus. And then he travels from Azotus back to Caesarea. And everywhere he goes on his journey, as he's going, he's sharing the gospel. Now look at this map up on the screen. It's not real big, but hopefully you can kind of notice what's happening here. If you look, Azotus is down kind of the southern part of the Mediterranean coast. And Caesarea is farther north. Well, as he leaves Azotus, headed to Caesarea, look at two towns he would pass by on his way. Lydda and Joppa. And the Bible says every time he went through, he did what? Shared the gospel. I believe there were Christians in Lydda and Joppa because Philip went through there and shared Jesus and people got saved. That's what's happening. And so as Philip goes... 
On his journey, everywhere he's going, he's sharing Christ. And the church systematically, consistently multiplies. That's what's happening. And so, what does that mean for me and you? It means that everywhere we go, everywhere we go, work, recreation, school, Everywhere we go, everywhere we go, as we are going, we open up our mouths and talk about Jesus. That's what it means. That's the pattern of the early church. The reason they were multiplying is because everywhere they went, as they were going, they were sharing Christ. But also I want you to see the power of their going out. Not just the pattern, but the power. Look what it says back in Acts 9 verse 31. It says... Going, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So as they were going forth, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, was guiding them, empowering them, comforting them, leading them, encouraging them. So no matter where they went, they had Holy Spirit power to be consistent and clear witnesses of Christ. Can I just tell you this? You will not be a consistent witness of the good news without the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day, listen to me, every day you ought to avail yourself to the Holy Spirit who lives in you and surrender all and say, today is your day. Would you empower me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you get me into some divine appointment so I can boldly, courageously, clearly, consistently share the good news of Jesus Christ? That's the power. And so what do I mean by systematic multiplication? Here's what I mean. Systematic multiplication occurs when we are continually, everyone say continually, continually seeking to obey in the power of the Spirit for the good of others and the glory of God. But I want you to hear me. Systematic doesn't mean boring. It means that we're just day in, day out faithful. That's what it means. As a matter of fact, it means that we are instruments in God's hands as He transforms lives. Do you think the paintbrush that was in Rembrandt's hand as he painted masterpiece after masterpiece had a boring role? I don't think so. Do you think the piano that Beethoven used as he wrote his fifth symphony, do you think the piano had a boring role? I don't think so. Instruments in the hands of masters. And if we will daily surrender to the power of the Spirit and obey God, we will be instruments in the hands of the divine Master, and He will use His church to paint a masterpiece for the glory of God. And that's not boring. Amen? Systematic, continual, but not boring. And so what are we supposed to do, Wade? We're supposed to do what God tells us to do. Preach, teach, share, pray, give, send, go. Witness, that's what we're supposed to do. If we'll do that systematically, we will see God use us to multiply the gospel. But there's one final thing I want you to see. Multiplication is prophetic. We have some promises we can claim and have confidence as we move forward. And and multiplication should be systematic. We should daily, continually obey what God tells us to do. But third, multiplication can be dramatic. It can be dramatic. Look what happens in verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. 
There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Now look in verse 36. There is in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. Notice she died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Wow. God heals a man who had been paralyzed for eight years. Now he's walking around and God raises a a, a woman who's dead and brings her back to life. I would call that dramatic. How about you? Now, why does God move in Scripture and, and in human history? Why do we see him move with these dramatic displays of power. Let me give you four quick reasons God moves with dramatic displays of power. Number one, to authenticate the gospel. To authenticate the gospel. Over in Acts chapter 14, we see an interesting, interesting story about Paul and Barnabas at Iconium. And it says there in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, against Paul and Barnabas who were preaching the good news. So they, Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Now watch this. Who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So how did God bear witness to the good news? Through signs and wonders. To say, hey, this message they are preaching is true. Listen to what they have to say. And so God moves with dramatic displays of power to authenticate the gospel. Secondly, God moves with power to accompany his messengers. To accompany his messengers. Over in Acts chapter 4, Paul and Silas are before the Jewish religious leaders. And they were there because they they had healed a man who was lame in the name of Jesus. And this got a lot of attention. And people were hearing about Jesus. So they wanted to stop all this talk about Jesus. So they bring Peter uh, before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And in verse 13 it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. That's highly significant. These learned religious leaders, well-educated, been studying the Bible all their life, and they look at Peter and, and, and the disciples and say, these are uneducated fishermen. Let's just argue them out of existence. Let's just show them 
that they can't preach about Jesus and we'll out-argue them. But then they looked and there was that guy who was lame for years and years by the gate called Beautiful standing there in good health. Healed in the name of Jesus. So listen, the religious leaders had nothing to say. They were speechless. And God will sometimes move with dramatic displays of power to accompany his messengers. Third, God moves in dramatic displays of power to amaze eyewitnesses. Over in Acts chapter 8, we studied it, but when the gospel comes to Samaria, there are people in in a town of Samaria who are enamored with a a magician named Simon. But when the, the Christians come in and they're preaching the gospel and people are getting healed... And, and, and demons are being cast out, they turn their attention from Simon to the preachers of the gospel. The signs and wonders amazed them. And it caught their attention, so they listened to what the disciples had to say. God will sometimes move with dramatic displays of power to get folks' attention so that they will have ears to hear. But there's one final thing. God's dramatic displays of power accelerate the work of the gospel. Look what it says there back in Acts chapter 9. Did you notice after he heals Aeneas what it said? Look what it says in verse 35. He shows Aeneas to the the community of Lydda. And it says, All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. It says all the residents in that town turned to Jesus when they see this man healed from his paralysis. And then look what happens after... Dorcas is raised from the dead. It says he gave her his hand in verse 41, raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And so what happens when God shows his supernatural power in these communities? The work of the gospel accelerates. It goes from systematic growth to dramatic growth. And so, what does that mean for us? I mean, as I study passages like this, I have a question, don't you? The question is, does God still move in dramatic ways today? And I believe the answer is, yes. He still does. To accomplish these four things. The church multiplies dramatically when God moves with public displays of power to accompany the preaching of the gospel. Just this past week, I was reading a story put out by our International Mission Board about a church planter in South Asia. And this church planter had been laboring for some time with the good news of Jesus Christ, but seeing no growth in his church. Just nothing happening in a very difficult village. One day, a lady came knocking on his door, frantic. And she told him her 13-year-old daughter was very sick, and she heard that, that he was a man of God, so she wanted him to come pray for her daughter. When he arrived at the home, the 13-year-old daughter was not breathing. So church planter goes in, and he lays hands on her and, and prays over her, and she's unresponsive. An ambulance arrives. And they load the, the 13-year-old girl in the ambulance. The, the mother gets in, and this church planter, this pastor, gets in with them. And they get to the hospital, and there are, are masses of people. And there's a very long line. And it's, it's obvious they're not going to get to the doctor in time to help this 
this teenage girl. And so the mother, who was Muslim, by the way, says to this pastor, I know the doctors can't help my daughter. Will you pray for her? And so there in the waiting area, he laid his hands on this 13-year-old girl and he prayed for her again to be healed. And immediately after his prayer, she opened her eyes. By the time they got to the doctor, the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with her. She is perfectly healthy. You know what happened next? The mother went back to her neighborhood and began to tell everybody how her daughter was healed when this man prayed for her in the name of Jesus. The next Sunday, there were 25 people in this pastor's church. And since then, listen, since then, five families from Islamic and Hindu backgrounds have become followers of Christ and been baptized and joined that church. The gospel accelerated in that town. It accelerated in that neighborhood through a dramatic display of God's power. So what does that mean for us? I mean, mean, what should we do? How should we think about that as a family of faith? Well, here's the point of the sermon. I think this sums up this passage and sums up how we need to move forward as a faith family. You ready? We are to be faithful and dependent in the systematic. Faithful and dependent. Every day, day in, day out, as we go, sharing the gospel. While crying out to God to do the dramatic. Yes, day in, day out faithfulness. Yes, we're an instrument in the hands of God. Systematic multiplication. Systematic growth of the kingdom. But what if, while we were day in, day out serving God, what if we began to cry out? And say, God, would you move with supernatural power in our midst to accelerate the work of the gospel, to get people's attention, to accompany your messengers, to authenticate the the goodness? Would you move with power? I believe that if we will do that, seek systematic and dramatic growth, we will see not just addition, we will see kingdom Multiplication. And it's just simple math, right? Growth by multiplication is much more rapid than growth by addition.